Welcome to Fisher Link presented by Fisher Inc., a new podcast for the Fisher College of Business to highlight stories in and around Ohio State that you may not have heard about. My name is Paige Palmer, and I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm joined by Brent Koffenbarger. Hey, everybody. My name is Brent Koffenbarger, and I'm a third-year Fisher College of Business student from Dublin, Ohio. With us now is David Trim. David has served as the Chief Information Officer at the Wendy's Company since 2015. Before that, David held a number of roles at Hertz, among other companies, such as Coca-Cola and Hilton. David, thanks for being with us today. Can you tell us a little about yourself? Uh, sure. Well, uh, you can probably tell from my accent I'm not uh, originally from around here. I was born in the UK, uh, just to the south of London. Um, been living in the US for about 11 years with my family now, and uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm an engineer, uh, so I'm a career technologist. Um, I've had a number of roles outside of, um, of IT as well in my career, but, but I've always tended to work for... Um, kind of well-known consumer-facing brands. Um, so I've worked with Clarks of England, Clark Shoes, Hilton Hotels, the Coca-Cola Company, uh, uh, Hertz, and, uh, and now with Wendy's. Awesome. So something that's becoming more and more common these days is for companies to have some kind of loyalty program. You've worked with the development of these programs throughout your career. So could you talk a little bit about why these loyalty programs are so effective? Sure. Well, I think... They're, they're effective because there's a, a trade between the person who's joining the loyalty program and the and the company that's running it. So, um, if, if you're the the consumer, you you get to have a um, a personal relationship with that company, meaning the stuff that they show you, send you, um, is going to be more tailored to what you actually want. Um, it may be that you want to stay um, up to date with developments at a company that you you love or you deal a lot with but often you're do you're in it because you want to get some kind of benefit some kind of um, either I call it an operational benefit but for example in the car rental um, world it, it was quite normal for uh, the loyalty program to be the way that you never had to sign another um, rental agreement or contract uh, because they already had your details uh, on on file. Um, if you're with a an airline or hotel program, you might be doing that because you want to get points. You, you're regularly staying or flying with them, and you want to uh, you know, be able to accumulate some points against some future reward, um, which might be a free stay or or something um, something like that. So there's normally some benefit, some discount um, that you get in exchange for um, your business, um, which is kind of how these things started. So, um, you know, a grocery store would want you to be a member so that they could make sure that you always shopped with them. Um, increasingly, though, for the company, the benefit is in the data. So the things that they get to know about you, your habits, um, you know, when you shop, where you travel, depending upon the company, um, that's an absolute you know, that's the thing that the company really wants to, to have. So it's an exchange of, you know, some benefit for the consumer exchange now increasingly for, for data. Great. So how have you seen these loyalty programs change over time or over the past maybe decade or so? Yeah, well, the big um, evolution has been from uh, basic systems which involved a card, so uh, some kind of loyalty card that you would carry, um, and in the early days of that, it wasn't even a card that had any kind of, like a mag stripe or some means of identifying you, it was just a number, essentially a, a, a program, some even, um, it might have been a card um, 
that were, that you punched, you know, at the, so if you drank um, one coffee, they give you one punch, by the time you collected ten, you'd hand over the card and you'd get, um, get the coffee. And um, that's a straightforward, uh, if you shop here, I'll give you a reward type program, I'll give you a discount. Um, and what I've seen that evolve to is, um, firstly, electronic identification, so uh, and one of the, the best early examples of this was uh, in the UK, a company called Tesco, it's a big retailer, a little bit like Kroger's. And they were one of the very first to have a very comprehensive um, online or essentially electronic loyalty program where they could see exactly what your shopping habits were and then they would deliver in the post to you coupons and stuff that related to your, um, your actual interests. Um, and when that moved into online shopping, it, it was amazing because what they, they, they knew already what sort of things you bought. So the first time you signed in, they'd say, hey, here's the things you always buy. Do you want me to just put them in your, bar, in your basket? So it's still a very, very good example of, of how those, those programs evolved is from that punch card all the way to electronic systems and now with a ton of really advanced um, analytics and machine learning that's helping to mine that, that, that data in order to get insights. Definitely awesome. Switching gears a little bit, you've also worked a lot with electronic kiosks at both Hertz and Wendy's, so what do you think makes these kiosks so desirable and do you see the use of them kind of continuing to grow as we go forward? Yeah, so at kiosks, um, many people actually prefer to interact with something electronic at a kiosk. Um, that, there could be a number of reasons for that. Um, but if you think about your, your daily life, um, bank ATMs is a great example of that, where I can't honestly remember the last time I actually went into a branch of a, of a bank. Everything's either online or interacting via a, uh, you know, some form of kiosk. Um, same with traveling on an airline. You know, you, you nearly never now speak to somebody unless something's gone badly wrong or you need to do something that isn't handled by the, the kiosk but um, generally speaking that's it, it's good because you feel a little bit as a consumer like you're in control you can go at your pace you can make sure there's no sort of loss of data in the translation between what I'm saying and what the person actually hears or puts in, so you can control over that, that uh, uh, data quality. And often, of course, the kiosk is immediately available, whereas a person might not be. So um, you, you really, um, that, those are some of the core reasons why you, uh, I think people like them. Um, I think there's, uh, particularly with millennial generation um, folk, there's an expectation you're going to be able to do practically anything with a company digitally. And you asked about how these will evolve over time. I think we'll probably see that um, the, the kiosks will still be needed, but increasingly things will be done on phones as well as, because um, we're already seeing that, right? Uh, so if you're bringing your own kiosk uh, with you, um, such that I no longer need to go to a kiosk at an air airport to check in, I use my phone to check in, and my phone is then my boarding card. So I think, uh, and all the time I feel like I've had control of that. I, I you know, once I've got that on the on the screen, I feel like I'm, uh, you know, nothing's going to go wrong now. Of course it does, but you, know, <laughs> um, it, you, you kind of feel that. So anyway, there, there's again. Continuing along the line of the Hertz and Wendy's train, they're both very large companies and you've spent a fair amount of time now at both. Are there any similarities or differences you've seen between the companies? Uh, definitely, if you're in um, information technology, uh, 
after a while, um, when you've, you've had a bit of experience, you, you do tend to see that companies often have the same problems that they're needing uh, to solve, and some of the strategic issues that they're wrestling with are, uh, are the same. And it's not specific to Hertz and Wendy's. It's, it's I think, general, because when I talk to CIOs from other companies, they're always wrestling with the same sorts of things. Uh, I think right now it's, you know, how do I make use of data? How do I stay on top of um, security issues? Um, what's the future for things like blockchain? Um, you know, there's uh, a lot of things in the uh, advanced analytics, artificial intelligence space, um, which is kind of vogue, and, uh, and certainly a lot of um, a lot of stuff happening in that that, uh, that space, and you know that doesn't matter whether you're a bank or a um, or a hamburger company or a car rental organisation. Um, I think big companies generally, um, if you're looking at the the sorts of things that um, that they have, there's often a, a challenge with scale and an opportunity with scale too. So, and I think that's true across. You know, all the companies I've worked with, the challenge is, um, you know, you have often thousands, in our case, hundreds of thousands of people you want to communicate with. Um, that's a, I'm talking about just employees now. And if you're trying to do that um, in a way that is going to be impactful, um, you know, you really know at the outset that you're not going to get to everybody. So you're working uh, the percentage. Not everybody's going to read it if you send it in an email. Not everybody's going to read it if you, um, you know, as I do, record a podcast every week um, that we send out. Um, not everyone's going to watch that, right? So um, there is a challenge with making sure communication it, it hits home, uh, but also often wonderful access to resources that smaller companies you know, just don't have. That could be either financial resources or um, colleagues um, who've got experience or relationship, business relationships you have with their outside companies that can really help you. And I think that's common to all of those large, large organizations as, as twins sort of the challenge and the opportunity. Definitely. So kind of Closing up here, throughout your career you've led many leadership roles, so what traits do you think are most important for a leader today? I think that a leader today needs to be, I'm not sure this is too different from, from a while ago, though it feels sometimes like the pace of change has accelerated, and I'm sure it actually has, but the same things sort of applies at the beginning of my career, I think you need to be striking the balance and that could be the, the balance between somebody who coaches and somebody who leads from the front balance between the sort of big picture um, strategy type thinking and and the grasp of the detail you have to get that right if you're too in the weeds then um, you know you fail to really see what the big strategic issues are if you fly too high then people think you're remote from from um, you know from what they're doing on a daily basis you need to get that balance right I think um, there's absolutely the need to communicate um, I already talked about that um, in the context of larger organizations I think the the, um, the same is true for any size of company if you're in a leadership role you must be able to communicate effectively via all channels because new channels keep coming along and I think you've got to be able to make effective use of time and realize what a really precious um, resource um, that is so how have you seen yourself grow as a leader over time I think Primarily, it's just a factor of um, experience. So, uh, if I look back to you know 
nearly 30 years ago at the start of my career, I, I just was really green. I didn't have, I hadn't seen a lot of situations and, you know, you come across them for the first time and each time you learn something, you find out something about yourself, but you also find out um, something about how to handle that, either because you did it well or often because you really didn't do it well and you, you sort of you have to internalise what didn't go um, didn't go well, and I think if you can um, be evaluating of yourself, if you can you know, look at the things that um, are happening, and then always try and say, okay, so what did we learn there? Then you, that's the growth you get is is you're being able to every day tuck away one new piece of learning, and, and that, by the way, it never stops as well. You you always find out new stuff. Excellent. Well, that's all the time we have for today. David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and spending a little bit of time with us. You're very welcome. That's it for this week's episode of Fisher Link. Fisher Link is presented by Fisher Inc., the student-run magazine for the Fisher College of Business. I'm Brent Koffenberger. And I'm Paige Palmer. This episode was edited by our sound designer, Connor Bueller. Our executive producer is Adam Lee, and the president of Fisher Inc. is Ethan Newberger. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. You can find Fisher Link on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on FisherInc.com, where you can also stay up to date on Fisher Inc. news stories. Thanks to our guests, and we'll see you next time.